Hey, welcome to episode 64 of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you today. Keith and I are talking about the not so marvelous trends happening over at Disney. Disney Plus numbers are not getting the subscribers that they're used to. The investors are asking new questions. And quite honestly, people aren't going to the theaters the way Disney wants us to anymore. Is marketing doing the job they're supposed to be doing? That and many other great questions. Stay tuned as Keith and I welcome you to Hollywood Breaks. Keith, I'm beginning to think that you have a serious gripe with Disney and Marvel. Yeah, I know. I I was worried about that when we were talking about what we were going to discuss today. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that Disney might think I have an issue with them because my volume three of the Founders Brews newsletter was all about whether or not Disney has lost its magic. And now here we are talking about it on the podcast. I don't want to give them a complex, but... <laughs> Well, there is a little bit of lost magic, isn't there? I mean, there. Yes. I don't. I well, I'm. I guess just even speaking personally, I don't really have a draw to run and and see the Eternals. I didn't. I didn't see yeah. the internal Eternals. I don't. It looked like very many people saw the Eternals. The numbers aren't no. the greatest, anyway. No, I, I think. I think what and this is. I again, I wrote a little bit about this in my newsletter as well. But you know, it's interesting. Seventy-one million obviously not a horrid result by any stretch, you know, you'll read all the trades will basically say, Oh, with, you know, this is a great COVID result, but my whole thing is it's, it's, it's a warning sign. I think tomorrow it's not an overall bad result, but it's a warning sign. And as Matt Bellani pointed out in what I'm hearing in his newsletter, he said, listen, one sort of bomb, which it's not a bomb, but it was horribly reviewed. It got like 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, a cinema score of a B, which is a disaster for a long run. And so it's one movie that didn't work out of 20 plus that they've made over the last 12 years, right? Yeah. That's not like, oh, alarm bells going off. But my thing is, it's a sign of maybe the audience is starting to tire of the whole superhero show up and save the world storyline. Well, what... what um. I don't even know if the fairs say this is a turnoff, but um, the cast in and of itself, I thought, oh, they have these, you know, big name actors now playing the main superheroes. Angelina Jolie probably being the one I remember most. I know Selma Hayek's in the movie, uh, Harry Styles is in the movie, but there was something to me of there was it makes it less superheroish if I'm familiar with the actor. Than when they were introducing actors to you with the characters. I don't know if that's fair to say because it wasn't that there were actually no name actors uh, doing that stuff. But I don't. They weren't the mainstream box office sensation, right? Because they were relying on the story to draw you in and not mm-hmm. the actors' names. I guess Robert Downey Jr. being the exception, maybe. But well, I mean, when you think, if you that's a really good point actually, because you think about the history of the phase one through four or five or whatever it is. Robert Downey Jr., when he was cast in Iron Man, was basically, what, a year or two out of jail for doing, yeah. you know, for abuse and drug abuse and hadn't really made a movie in a while. And, you know, he had Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which wasn't a huge hit, but and it was just sort of like that. Yeah, let's let's and Marvel just basically gave this guy this movie to pin. And it was Iron Man was like the first movie they were releasing by themselves sort of with the Merrill Lynch backing that they had gotten and it was distributed via Paramount. So this was like their first time out on their own, not like letting a studio drive the bus. So there was a lot of, of, of sort of risk involved with that. 
And they picked Robert Downey Jr. because he kind of fit the idea of what they felt a Tony Stark was. But he, like you said, he was a relatively unknown actor who hadn't really done much. You know, he had a couple bit parts in the eighties and some of the John Hughes movies, but he wasn't like yeah. a, a movie star as we conceive him. Same thing with like Chris, uh, Chris Evans was in small. Right. It wasn't, um, it wasn't booked as like a Robert Downey Jr. Film. No, it was absolutely not. Or Chris Evans film. It was this, this is the story. Right. This are the characters. This is this, the, the universe we're introducing to you. Yeah. That's what made it exciting. This right. I felt like, it's an Angelina Jolie film. I mean, like, I mean, like I felt like the marketing or the presentation or just the cast that they have was the the actors were somehow supposed to draw draw you in because the story wasn't good enough. I don't I don't know. Again, I think that it's it's a combination of several factors. I think it's definitely the idea that there are some name actors in there who people already really knew. Um, and it having like an Angelina Jolie, she kind of sucks all the oxygen out of the room. So that that I think was a, somewhat of a liability to them. And, and also, again, I think it's the storyline. It's like superheroes show up, save the world. It's like we've been doing this over and over again for near an eye on 15 years now. And, you know, I think it's time for and that's why I said it's it's not it's not like a major warning sign, but I think it's 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 a it's a sign to them that they've got to start reinventing the wheel a little bit. They just can't keep pushing out these superheroes that just have the same story over and over and over and over and over again. Now the origin stories are probably are going to work, work most times like it did with Shang-Chi that went really well um, because origin stories are different. You get to learn about the characters, whereas this just felt like you're getting plopped in the middle of, you know, the, you know, there's evil people on the planet and here come these weird alien people who show up and lay waste to the entire, you know, defeat the bad guys. Then that's just not an original storytelling anymore. Well, that's you, you wonder, you wonder how it would have played if there wasn't like a pandemic shutdown and there were sh shifts that already took place, you know? Right. So the fact that there, there is the truth that, um, you know, the Marvel universe ca came to a conclusion, the one, the previous one came to a conclusion. So the thought of opening up a new one, okay, maybe a good idea. Disney plus is totally booming for them. Um, although I think there's been a recent hit well. against that recently. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll then get to that um, part. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's there's something too, like what's happening with Disney Plus. That's uh, you know, as you're putting out your newsletter, there are things happening. There's a shift happening there, but also just the not necessarily wanting to go to the theaters or care to go to the theaters. So maybe an investment they made three years ago when they thought this was going to be a good idea, and the reality of what it is now, we're we're seeing the evidence of hey, even if three years ago it was a great idea, and maybe without the pandemic uh, would have been different. It's just different now. I, got, I mean, guys, we have to stop saying like, you know, if, if the pandemic wasn't there, like that's a long time ago. And the marketing they did is recent, regardless of what the pandemic did. And I think there's a marketing miss when they're not recognizing what people, what draws people, um, what draws the audience into their films and want to engage their, their audience in that way. So there's, there's something, we got to, we got to tell the story differently somehow. Right. And I think they start, I mean, I give Disney credit because uh, they may have, re I, they recognized it. As I mentioned last year week with Richard Rushfield, you know, I saw a spot when I was in the gym that said, unlike any other Marvel you, movie you've ever seen. So their research was telling them they were running into issues with people just feeling like this just feels like another Marvel movie 
tired superheroes come to save the day. And they recognized that this was going to have to be their closing message. I think they probably recognized it a little too late, perhaps, that this was going to be an issue. Because if you look at some of the materials, it's very much like you introduce all the characters, funny quip. Oh, there's some evil, dangerous beings that are sort of attacking. Oh, here come the heroes. They have to sort of say that it just didn't feel like oh, this is something I need to get off, you know, turn off all my apps on my phone, on my TV and drive myself to the theater to see. Like, it just didn't have that sort of must-see quality to it. And I think that's part of the problem. And it, it they're not positioning in any way as a, a part of a larger story. It Like Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and now Eternals just feel like they're one-offs now. They don't feel like they're, at least from what I can tell, it doesn't feel like they're part of an overarching story like they did with the first few films where it felt you definitely felt like they were definitely watching yeah. their way to Avengers Affinity War. But here it it doesn't feel like that is what's happening. Yeah. So let's talk about the Disney Plus thing, because there's something kind of funny happening there, too. Richard mentioned it last week, um, but I do think it's a reality is um, where the event part of the the films that they have where there used to be event driven hey this you haven't seen this for a while this is the next um you know piece of the storyline you've been waiting for and with the ott platform they really are always talking now now marvel yeah. marvel is almost a channel in and of itself you know always marvel all the time and it creates kind of a who cares attitude about it right yeah, it does. I mean, it, Disney Plus, obviously, last couple of days, they came out with some very disappointing numbers. I think it was like 2 million subs in the last quarter, which is just not great. Well, it wasn't. Uh, it would be great for Peacock. It's not great for against Disney Plus numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not great for Disney Plus. And, you know, again, Matt Bellani posted, you know, basically saying Disney now lives by the subs and dies by the subs. And, you know, they, you know, Netflix went through this a few weeks, a few quarters back and we talked a little bit about how they kind of missed and their stock took a dip. Um, they've since recovered thanks to squid game, but Disney plus, I think it's it. And there was a very good piece that was sort of written in, in Matt's newsletter. That's sort of like the challenge with Disney plus is it it's sort of limited in its content, right? Because there's only so many people are going to sign up for it because it's family driven and then the people that are coming in for Marvel are the same people who are coming in for Star Wars. But if you want to watch, say, you know, Nine Strangers or anything on Hulu, you have to exit out of Disney Plus and go to Hulu. So it's like it, it, there's a disconnect there. And you're like, well, if I'm not watching this, if I'm not using Disney Plus, then why am I subscribing to Disney Plus? Yeah. So the author's contention was, well, you know what they need? They need more Hamiltons. They need something that sort of broadens out a little bit and gives people reason to interact. Now, the point she made was overseas, like for example, a lot of in territories, Disney is affiliated with Star. Now, Star has more adult content on it. So that enables people to move between the various buckets that we have here in the States, but then they can go to Star and watch other content. So they're they're having better success overseas than sort of the the growth here in the states, um, and I think that's sort of going to be the challenge. And you know, I think Bob Chapek acknowledged that. You know, I think he knew this was coming. He had warned last quarterly call 
that this was going to come. Like, we're going to slow down, guys. It's like, we're not going to be booming. And, you know, that's why you all of a sudden decide, oh, like, well, yeah, we're going to have a Disney Plus day. Like, we're going to get all excited about Disney Plus. And then we're going to run a, a promotion where we're going to offer Disney Plus for like $7.99. So they're, they're definitely signs that they recognize that they're starting to hit the ceiling. And I think it's, it's going to be a challenge for them because so much of their brand is built on family. And you can't really put content that exists on Hulu on a Disney Plus platform without there being some serious concerns from parents that their kid's going to stumble on an, an, an FX show <laughs> and be traumatized for life. <laughs> I read the Bloomberg article about it. Actually, there's a Bloomberg uh, opinion piece about it. Mm-hmm. And the it was pretty interesting to kind of just, you know, it's obviously coming from a Wall Street point of view and yep. caring what the investors think about. Um, but the as I was reading that article, I, I was kind of really processing what Disney has invested in over the last, you know, decade or so is this idea of like, there are the Marvel universe gave way to other universes, the Simpson universe and the Pixar universe and all these, this kind of theory. And when you log in and you're engaged in the Disney plus item, like it's almost laid out, like each universe you want to dive into. And, um, we are kind of missing that diversity, right? The thought of beyond the Disney big picture items, what else is Disney Plus going to provide? And if they, if this the, this strategy doesn't play out, this universe strategy doesn't play out, that I want to now be engaged in the next segment of the Star Wars universe, um, then they're going to have to find a new way of shuffling that platform and get people into maybe more habitual watching than um, tent pole watching, where they're just like like the big events, I'm gonna tune in and do it. I thought the the, one of the the very first Marvel show that came on the platform, the um, WandaVision. WandaVision, yeah. I thought they did a great job with that. And then I got halfway through the Winter Soldier one, and then I haven't seen anything of of Loki, right? Like it's just like, oh, it's just out there. I, yeah. I, would, I can't honestly consume all of it. So I kind of just give up. Right? Well, the, I mean, the other concern, <clears throat> excuse me, is that, uh, as I said, it also brings in pretty much the same audience. The same audience watching WandaVision is watching Winter Soldier. You're not going to bring in new, uh, that many you're not new, gonna new subs because of that. Right, exactly. Right. Because it's it's the same universe. And I think it goes a lot back to what we were talking to Amazon, uh, Cameron about Amazon Prime. Their whole thing is getting people on the platform and keeping them on the platform. So they have so much content there. They just want people to stay and not have feel like they have to leave and go somewhere else. Disney's problem is people are starting to feel like, eh, how many times can I watch Snow White? You know, oh, I've seen all the Star Wars stuff. Okay, next. And if you don't have kids, like, listen, Disney Plus was a savior for me during the pandemic because my kids love it. They're watching Mary Poppins right now as we speak because they happen to be home today. And... You know, it's it's a it's great. I love it. But if you don't have kids, yeah, it doesn't really provide any value. And it, you know, if you're, you know, it's not the sort of thing my wife and I turn on when you know the kids are in bed and we're trying to figure out what we're going to watch. And that is where I think the struggle is going to happen for Disney is they have to figure out a way to keep that audience in on the platform. Now, listen, they go to Hulu. I mean, yeah, it's still in the Disney universe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Per se. It's still, it's not like they're losing money. It's kind of branded differently. Hulu has right. a different engagement but, brand. Yeah. It's like TV versus film in a way. Yeah. As I said earlier, if you live by the subs, you die by the subs. And Disney Plus, if those numbers dip, keep dipping, the, their price is going to get hammered, much like 
you know, Netflix, if they, if their subs dip now that again, they've recovered because of squid game, but I don't think Disney plus is going to have a squid game anytime soon. That's not their brain. Yeah, so try, uh, this is a quote you wouldn't uh, disagree with. It was Bob Chapek. He said, we're in a time of flux while COVID will be in the re- rear view mirror. God willing. I think changing consumer behavior is something that's going to be more permanent. Yes. And I think that the idea of a, the, Behavior patterns of the audience is going to be very, very different. I think he's doubling down. I believe his that context is he's doubling down of like the audience just changed. We need Disney Plus. I'm kind of the excuse in what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it's more telling than that of like, yeah, but the changing behavior is also going to drive us away from sitting around and watching our TV pretty soon too, right? We're not. Yeah. It was an extreme event that got us to to sit home and need OTT, and now that things are happening, I think people are trying to get the heck out of the house and do things differently and now there's no theaters to go to and i don't want to be home and watch something you're gonna have to get me into different behavior yeah well the other thing is with bob chapik from what i've read is he's very much about the stock price he he lives and dies by that stock price so every decision he makes he feels it's his duty as the ceo of the company to make sure that stock price stays up so that's why he's invested in disney plus because that's what the wall what wall street wants um, I think it comes it, it, from what I've read, it's come at sacrifice with his relationship with the creatives, which is not necessarily the greatest strategy per sure. se, because Bob Iger had a great relationship with the creative community because he came from it. Whereas Bob Chapek comes from consumer products and parks and doesn't have that sort of savvy with the talent um, around Hollywood that Bob Iger had. So like, uh, like his fight with Scarlett Johansson, like, yeah, exactly. that's a foolish there's, fight to take on. There was a foolish fight that didn't need to happen. All he had to do was pick up the phone and he just, especially with the biggest release you had at the time and might not be the biggest release of the year. But. Yeah. And he just chose to let Alan Bergman handle it. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, thankfully they resolved it, but it led to a lot of messy back and forth that <laughs> was unnecessary. So I think, Again, it's this idea of like you kind of try to balance it. It's a serious balancing act. And if you lean one way over another, then you're going to, you know, because yes, the stock price is important, obviously. But if you don't really engage with the community, creative community, you're not going to get the quality content that's going to drive subs. So it's, you have to kind of balance it out a little bit. And, you know, the town still doesn't really know what the heck Kareem Daniel does other than, you know, talk about distribution and what goes where well i'll say i know it's supposed to be some marketing play too but i i, I think i'm concerned with the way disney is thinking about their marketing i mean I, don't, I think they're just playing the old games in a new marketplace so there is there's i think the they have to resynchronize their thought process and not be so business strategic and what the ideas are looking for efficiencies or whatever they're looking for two years ago when they're trying to cut backs and figure out how to rebuild the studio from that point on. Now they have to get back in the entertainment game and they have to be entertaining. They have to grow. They have to do things that are different. Um, yeah, it's, um, what, what, whatever happened to the Scarlett Johansson black widow, where are we in that fight? Oh, well it, it was resolved. They came to an agreement. And she subsequently announced that she was going to be in another Disney movie. So <laughs> uh, obviously I know the details weren't released, but um, it seemed like both parties were relatively happy, but again, like it didn't have to get to that point. Like why did there have to be a messy back and forth? And, you know, there didn't have to be the lawsuit and then Disney's, you know, very aggressive statement, you know, attacking Scarlet. And it was, and then, you know, there was just, 
unnecessary. Like all they had to do was pick up the phone and talk. And I think again, it goes to, you know, Bob Chapik's focus on the, the stock price. And, you know, he lets his division heads handle their issues. And the, in back in the day, that probably would have been an issue that Bob Iger would have picked up the phone and talked to Brian Moore. Um, but you know, that was not what happened here. And, you know, luckily it was all for them, but, and we don't know what happened with Emma Stone. I think they got ahead of that because they saw, you know, what was happening in the town and they needed to reassure talent that, Hey, well, we're going to, we're going to be on the up and up here. Um, especially with Bob Jay coming out and saying that, you know, they still want to, they still want to look at flexibility, which means day and date on Disney plus premium access and theaters is still going to be a possibility for the foreseeable future, especially if their subs are dipping, because how else are you going to get people to show up by, you know, offering them the opportunity to watch it at home for 30 bucks a month for 30 bucks. So (laughs) again, that's, that's another, that's another challenge that they're facing. I, was just scanning my LinkedIn again because I read this article. Um, the Clio's came up with the fifty, what do they call it? The fifty movie trailers that change entertainment marketing. Yeah, um, and uh, it's wonderful to kind of have a, that look back. Of um, by the way, you, you might also appreciate that there's fifty movie posters that change marketing as well. Oh, so nice. That, yeah, yeah, you'd like that one. I'll send you send you a link. Um, and then Benedict Culture, who I knew at Trailer Park, he was one of the owners Dang. of Trailer Park. Yes. Yeah, worked with him back in the day. He had you know, a statement, uh, was one that guys mentioned. Um, and it re- the, the thought that there was an artistic approach in marketing that's being recognized by the Clios to say, hey, there is, there is a need within a creative culture to take creative people to tell the story. And mm-hmm. it can't just only be about the numbers and driving people to the most basic elements and trying to get the dollars in the door. But there is a, there's parts of the story or the creation of the story that can get people engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate that perspective that the Clios are kind of recognizing that there is an art form and artist necessary yeah. um, to be part of this Hollywood approach. It's not simply just like a, like subscribers. Um, maybe that's why Netflix originals kind of drive me crazy. I feel like they have <laughs> premier talent in yeah. front of the camera, but there's a miss. It's like, it's, I don't know, like it's too quickly produced. It's, um, not, not very well curated, whatever the issue is. Mm. Um, and I think that these uh, next up and coming filmmakers, they're going to be brand new storytellers. They're going to be doing something and telling stories in very different ways. Um, they'll still use anticipation and love and r- romance and whatever to kind of get us in the theaters and appreciate it. Um, but I think the storytelling approach is something that I want to evolve. And m- maybe I maybe I hate to say this is that maybe the Marvel Universe is not great anymore. Like it was creative in its moment. And John yeah. Favreau's idea of that development was great. Yeah. And now we got to move on to the next great thing. Well, when you think about it again, I don't know, I think I've said this before, it's based on a comic book and comic books are very simple storytelling and it's not, you know, we're not, you're not reinventing the wheel here. And there's only so many characters you can inject that are going to get people excited and amped. And I think that's something that they, you know, really need to take into consideration. You know, I wholeheartedly agree with you on sort of the idea of, the evolution of entertainment marketing and marketing itself, especially when it comes to films as an art form, because to me, it feels like that is something that is kind of slipping away a little bit because you have so many people who are just 
programmed to do things a certain way, nobody really wants to rattle the cages. Nobody wants to take the risk. Everybody wants to do what is just going to maintain more or less the status quo. You know, when I was at Fox, we did something with Prometheus, which I thought was amazing. We like created all these side stories on um, various characters. Like we we basically created a promotional ad for David, who was the android in the movie. We took out an entire ad in the Wall yeah, Street Journal. Yeah, so smart. That's great. And we had like an ad that Allison Temple's team at the time at Fox put together, which was brilliant. And then we had, you know, Ridley Scott's kid, Luke Scott, cut something um, that was sort of like a TED Talk that was done by Wayland, who was, as those of you who are, you know, Alien Universe fans, Wayland is the guy, it's the name of the corporation that funds Ridley's trip and, you know, is the one who um, owns the uh, the rig in the first Alien, is the, you know, Paul, uh, Paul um, oh, what's his name from Mad About You? Help me out here. Do you remember? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Anyway, everyone knows what I'm talking about, but he's the guy who works for the whaling company in aliens. Um, but anyway, I digress, but it, it's just, it, it, that kind of thinking is not what's really happening anymore. It's just, let's get it. I mean, especially in the Netflix world, it's just get the trailer out, get the tile done, boom, stamp it, put it up on the platform. What's next. And I think that is what, And then they just rely on people just finding it and then talking about it until it pops up to the top 10 and then, you know, squid game erupts. So it's, it, it, to me, it's, that's what's missing. And, and and I, I understand and I sympathize because I've been in that position. Like when I was at Fox, like I wanted to do things differently, but it was like, that's not what, what everyone wanted. Everyone wanted, let's do the trailer. We got to do the trailer. We got to do a typical trailer. And it was just the same thing over and over again. And Yes, there are still moments of artistic beauty to trailers, you know, but they still feel like they're just trying to do the same thing. Oh, it just doesn't feel rich and new. And I, I would be, you know, interested to see if they buzzed anyone, uh, you know, that put together the list and said, "Hey, what, what, what's the state of the business now? Like, do you see any tra- any trends right now?" that make you think that the next great entertainment marketing shift is going to happen. Yeah. And I just feel that um, there are things that aren't even on the radar of a lot of studios when it comes to games and uh, video games and the kind of other entertainment sources that are absolutely not even being kind of discussed in traditional Hollywood, not being integrated um, into the way we tell things. By the way, it's Paul Reiser. Ah, thank you. There you go. That's I did have to Google it. To all fairness, <laughs> like, what's the name? As soon as you said Paul Rudd, it messes up your brain. You're stuck yeah. Well, in I guess, that. you know, you know, America's apparently America's sexiest man at this point. So I guess okay, fine. But you know, that's why it's Paul like, Rudd is or Paul Reiser. Paul Rudd. He just announced oh. like two days ago. My wife just got the People magazine. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's your guy. wife's I People like magazine. Funny. I only partly believe you. That's your wife's people magazine. I have a feeling you read it more than she no, does. I don't. I flip. I flip through it. I flip. <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> All right. Well, what movie are you gonna watch in the next uh, seven days? When does oh. Ghostbusters come out? I want to see that. I gotta be honest. I, I kind of want to see it too, only because one, it's Jason Reitman, who, for those of you who don't know, yeah. Ivan Reitman, his father directed the original. The original. Um, and Jason theme- is Juno. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, he did, directed Juno. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's I, I, some of the, the last trailer I watched was a little bit 
too heavy. It felt like they were making it more dramatic than Ghostbusters. I mean, Ghostbusters is a ridiculous movie, but it's funny. And it's like they're trying to make it a little bit more serious than it needs to be. But, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if it'll drag me to the theater, honestly. I, I, it's it's going to take a lot to get me to the theater. I really? You got to go to the theater, man. I know. I know. I mean, my wife has already said we're going to see Downton Abbey, the second Downton Abbey movie. So that that's a for sure. But that's like months away. Um, I, I mean, I know Dune yet. I haven't seen. I, gotta see. I told I told you this. I didn't get a chance to do it when I was in L.A. this week. But uh, I'm going back to L.A. on Monday. I'm got to see Dune in the theater. I know I'm going to see it because. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Way, I was, yeah, yet another I, person had told me how much I'm missing by not seeing it. Yeah, I, I one of the uh, guy, you know, I recommended it to somebody. He said to me, he's like, yeah, I can only he watched it on HBO Max. And he's like, that is a movie you need to see in a theater. I was like, yeah. If there's one movie that you feel like would be a, another experience in a theater, that's the that's the movie. It'd be sad if I see Ghostbusters before I see Dune in the theater. You but, probably will, I but mean, I might on. see Ghostbusters because my local theater is not necessarily the one. Well, you've gone to LA, you got like every, an option on every that's block. Why, so you'll be that's why I'm holding out. I'm holding out. <laughs> Whereas me, I have to drive like a 20 minute drive to just get to a theater. So it's not as easy for me, especially you know when I got young kids running around the house. So. And that's not exactly a movie that's right. It's for called date night, older, man. I think it'll be easier to get to the theaters, but right now they're grab gay. your wife, go watch Ghostbusters on she date night. She doesn't want to see Ghostbusters. <laughs> Come on, that's not it's not her vibe, man. I mean, You're if she's ready right. to Downton Abbey, like Ghostbusters, I probably should go find my not, brother if I'm going to watch not Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my brother or my my kids are probably want to. I'm better off seeing. Well, you're like you got older kids now, so you can probably drag them to see Ghostbusters. I can't drag my my drag them. They're dragging me. My my eight year old and my my five year old would probably have nightmares for months if I took them to see Ghostbusters. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably not for the better. All right, my friend. Well, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy whatever movie you're watching. Uh, Well, I'll figure something. And get that newsletter done, will you? It's out. The next one. I know. I'm just you you have to start again. Out. ignorance is ignorance isn't always bliss that's the title so enjoy there you go huh yep i love it brilliant i know (laughs) all right uh, subscribe to your newsletter if you're interested in subscribing to keith's newsletter go to his website vision craft brew Mm -hmm. and subscribe it's a great place easy way to engage uh, keith and know what he's up against Mm -hmm. Um, if you like what you're hearing here subscribe here you can always dm us on any instagram platform somebody will read it somewhere i'm sure (laughs) i really do appreciate the comments people are commenting on our youtube videos it's great to have that conversation so i like that stuff i agree and as always thank you to lydia michelle the ghost social team connor i don't know what happened to him today because but i think i was late so i messed that one up yeah um but all the team that's helping us behind the scenes we appreciate you guys we love you all and thanks for joining hollywood breaks i have one thing tim um i just want to mention that uh, we've got some exciting guests coming up so next week we have thomas jagaeus former head of marketing, uh, Fox, now independent producer. Uh, and then we have Cami Sargent, corner of negative reinforcement will rejoin us and um, it should be a great chat. And then we have a new guest on the 10th of December, Damon Wolf, the uh, former head of marketing at Lionsgate as well did a stint at um, Screen Gems at Sony, uh, will be joining us as well, which I think will be a very, very good conversation. So stay tuned. That's and, awesome. And- Many, many other great guests coming up. So stay tuned. And many, many more Keith's friends joining us. So. <laughs>
as always. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm I'm a popular guy, man. What can I say? You I'm know, a popular guy. <laughs> Fifteen years in LA, you know, and you're actually a, a decent human being. You just you do build a, a, a huge Rolodex. It's That's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too.